everybody, and welcome to iFreaks episode number 254. This week on our panel, we have Erica Sadoon. Hey, big hello from Denver. Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City, and this week we have a very special guest that I'm really excited about. Theodore, will you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Theodore. I'm the creator of Ish, um, which you may not know that... you may, Nobody seems to know how to pronounce it, but... I assure you, any way of pronouncing it is fine. So what is Ish? I think a lot ish. of our listeners have, have heard of it because it's been going around on Twitter. And Yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh, ish is uh, an iOS app that uh, it's, it runs like an emulated Linux environment. The idea is you can install this app and now you can just run any Linux program. That's the idea. That's not – it doesn't like completely – not everything works, but um, – a lot of things do, and it's pretty int- pretty cool that you can run Vim on your phone. Well, you could already could with iVim, but no. But now you can like r- run real Vim, and like it can do anything. You know. <laughs> okay, let me ask the question that anybody who's used Linux really wants to know. Okay. Are you talking about apt-get? Um, it's not you. It's not using Ubuntu because the smallest Ubuntu image I could find was like. 50 megabytes. That's way too big for an app, in my opinion. Um, instead, it uses Alpine Linux, which is 5 megabytes. So you use APK. Not to be confused with Android APKs. It's a completely different thing. But you, you, it's a package manager that lets you install pretty much anything, and the whole thing fits in 5 megabytes. The point is that it's a package manager. It is a real package manager. And so as a package manager, it's going to let you just go and find, you know, Linux, you know, whether it's sourced. Is it sourced? Do you compile it yourself or do you, do you install um, executables? You don't compile it from source. Um, it's, it, it gets downloaded as binaries from the Alpine repositories. Are they blessed in some way? They are not. So do you know where your binaries are coming from? They're, well, they're coming from, they're, they're compiled by the Alpine people and who hopefully you can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a, this is not a, like an, this is not like a random distribution that no one's ever heard of. It's used a lot for Docker containers because it's so small. So. Uh, I assume you can write shell scripts. You could. I assume that uh, you can run text editors. Mm-hmm. I assume that you can do some minimal compilation. You can compile um, some. You can compile some non-trivial things, but it's very, very slow um, because the whole thing is running inside an x86 emulator. Um, because the iOS sandbox doesn't let you do that sort of dynamic code execution you'd want to do to be, to like do to like run programs quickly. So Guy and Andrew both have really nice iPad Pros, right guys? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you run it on a decent iPad, you know, top of the line, can you compile? You can, com- you don't need it. Well, I mean, it depends on what you want to compile. Um, like if you want to compile a Hello World program, that, that, that works fine. It takes a couple seconds. Um, if you want to compile, the other day I compiled like, um, the other day I compiled TCC, which is um, an, which is another C compiler, um, and it took like half an hour. This was on. Um, but once you have the C compiler, yeah. Once you once you have it, uh, you can run it. Well, there there was the there was this stupid bug uh, related to Alpine that I had to fix. But yeah, once I fix the bug, um, you can run the compiler and it will compile code. Now, because of our audience, I have to ask: 
I know Swift, there's no official release that, you know, runs on your particular version of Linux. Mm -hmm. Has anybody put together a Swift compiler for this link? Uh, I don't think anyone's uh, managed to get that working. You'd have to, um, you'd have to compile the whole Swift thing from source um, for that. And I don't want to, just compiling, just compiling LLVM on a fast computer takes, for me, the better part of a day. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So Cross compiling is a thing, though. Okay. We're talking about Unix. We're talking about having access to all the Unix basics, right? You can mm -hmm. whichever shell is available, and I assume most of the good shells are going to be on there. You're going to have Bash. Yeah, you've got Bash. You've got CSH. You've got Fish. There's this dumb bug in Fish. I, no one's tried TC Shell, but I'm sure it works. What, <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> okay, but but you so so you can do some shell scripting and so forth. But yeah. you are essentially in a play box, right? You're in a sandbox. Um, you, you, uh, you, it's, it's like a, it's like this Linux, um, uh, Linux root file system that's in, in the iOS sandbox. Um, mm -hmm. There is, um, it is so possible. You have a play box inside the sandbox. Um, yeah, yeah. It is actually possible to, um, to mount any, fi any file path from the iOS fi file system into the, into the environment. So do you have access to Apple files? Um, yeah, I'm not so, about I mean, the files, the word, I mean, the files program, the program uh, that gets you into cloud. Yeah, the files app. Yes, I do have a files app integration. It's, uh, it sucks at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I have, I've been wanting to fix it up. Like it's currently totally read only. You, the only thing you can really do is drag files out of it. Um, I've been wanting to fix it up and make it like good for a while. Because you see, what would be awesome is if you could, you know, do your editing, your do your work in, you know, the shell mm -hmm. in ish. It so, sounds so silly to say in ish, but yeah. <laughs> you do your work there, and then it's on the cloud so that you can access it from your Mac as well. That's that's the dream. How far away are you from that? Huh. So, um, so like being able to open a folder from files and then like mount that into the app, that's very possible. Um, and probably the main thing that needs to be worked out for that is where I'm going to put the, uh, where I'm going to put the open button, <laughs> the button to choose a file. Um, yeah. It, like, just like the UI, um, this has you been open it. You want to mount it. Yeah. I, I guess, th I guess there'd be a difference between, um, opening a folder and opening a file. Um, yeah, but if you, open, if you mount the file system of of like of your cloud provider of your yeah you know, yeah the cloud basically if you mount uh -huh. it as drive and yeah. have right access then you're still in you're in your shell you're in your Unix system yeah this this could definitely be done it, you can't do it right now but <laughs> okay. so let me explain why I own this app called. I think it's M or M2 EM, and it's basically an Emacs app. And hmm. it allows I heard of it. Emacs on my iPad, and you can save files. Now, it's very limited on how you can save files, so I have to save them to Dropbox. 
Now, it's not the worst thing in the world. It has a special, you know, you have to give it permission to access Dropbox. You can only read and write from a particular folder because, you know, there's the app folder. But imagine if you could do exactly that same thing using Apple's Files app. Hmm. Um, so, so, so like, uh, so, so like this Emacs app doesn't have Files app support. It can only save to Dropbox. It only has it saves to Dropbox. It was a very cheap app, and that's it's pretty ancient. Yeah, that's pretty sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, documentation that goes along with it. It's even sadder. <laughs> app, it's on. It's on my main page. You know, when an app is on the main page of your iPad, you know how much you love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get a sense you really love Emacs. Yeah. So, <laughs> and of course, Emacs, because it's full screen editing, it uses curses. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Ish and curses. It works. Um, there was a bit of a difficulty. The main difficulty in getting it to work was um, getting floating point math to work. But that's been implemented a while ago, so. Now, Curses, um, not everybody who's listening to this week's episode will know about it. So could you give a bit of a yeah. background about what Yeah, sure. Um, curses is a library for, uh, for like command line programs to do the whole thing where they take over your entire terminal and make it look like, make it look, get, make, like take it over and just make it, uh, make it all their own. Um, so you can address any part of the screen. Yeah, yeah, you can you can put any text anywhere on the screen and basically make a GUI. There there are actually uh, GUI frameworks, modded GUI frameworks that let you basically have a GUI in your terminal. Mm -hmm. And I know there are web browsers. I, yes, know. there are. <laughs> what is the name of that web browser that's text only? And there are three of them. <laughs> And Lynx is the big one. That's one, Lynx. Yeah. Yeah, that's an old one. Mm -hmm. And they all require curses. And curses yeah. isn't named because you use it in. <laughs> no, that's not why it's called curses. It comes um, from, from cursor, from being able to adjust the cursor using escape sequences that emulate. Um, what, what kind of TTY was it? It's like. Um, it's a VT100. VT100, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it lets you go to different parts of the screen. Mm -hmm. So Ish has this, how did you get there? Um, the reason, uh, the tr there's, a, there's a terminal emulator in the app, um, which is able to interpret all those escape sequences that are outputted by curses. This terminal emulator is written in JavaScript because that was the only terminator, the only terminal emulator I could find that would run, ran well in iOS rather than JavaScript. Um, yeah, get, getting the curses library to work um, uh, was basically just getting the uh, floating point instructions on the emulated CPU to work. Mm -hmm. Because I know that a lot of people would really like to be able to, you know, I'm not talking about an iPhone. An iPhone, it's really rare to carry around a keyboard with you, but a lot of iPads, it's, it's part of the cover. Mm -hmm. So the hard, you know, the hardware keyboard is there and it makes sense if a lot of people like to use email that's purely text because, you know, it's fast, yeah. it's efficient, you know, the searches are quick as anything. They <laughs> yeah. like 
they like going to Unix. They like going to Unix to edit. They like going to Unix to play certain games, you know, like Empire or NetHack or any of those. Yeah. Have people talked to you about their favorite things to do in terms of productivity, in terms of why they would want it to have on the iPad? Have they talked to you about their desires and how they're using Ish in its current form? Um, right now, there are really not a lot of people using Ish for anything like useful. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'm I'm sure this this will change eventually, but. A lot of people are using it as an SSH client um, because it's um, it's slightly less bad uh, in some <laughs> ways than some of the other SSH clients. Um, uh, I, I have this one person who's trying to um, uh, he's trying to get various uh, command line games running in Ish. Um, none of them have worked for various reasons, but we'll get there. Are there any good command line games, or are they all Hunt the Wampus? <laughs> <laughs> There are, there are better ones than Wampus. There's NetHack. The Unix game ever. <laughs> There's Adventure. There, that's a good one. That's a fantastic one. And of course, you know, Zork comes from that. Yeah, yeah. And Zork isn't all throw axe, get axe, throw axe, get axe. <laughs> I mean, plug. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little lame really quickly. Whereas, you know, if you, if you move into, you know, Zork, you're starting to have, you know, some real fun there, even though you kind of have to get completely spoiled in order to win the game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know what led you to, to write this app. I mean, it seems like a pretty monumental undertaking. I get the feeling you didn't write all of it in the sense that there's, you know, open source stuff you pulled in from other places. But am I right that you actually wrote the, the, um, the, the emulator? Yeah, the, the emulator scene? is written myself. Um, the uh, system call translation is all written by me. Um, this, because this pro- the real reason for me doing, to do this project is to just learn everything that there is to learn about how Linux works and how uh, x86 works and generally how computers work by reconstructing the whole thing on, on iOS. That's a little bit different than I usually learn stuff. Um, I usually go like, let me read a book or watch some, some videos or something. Let me make x x86-64 emulator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did start by reading books, but there, there's only so much you can learn just from reading. Eventually, you have to yeah, actually do something. At least you didn't you know, write yet another Nintendo emulator. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been lame. No, it's not lame. It's just... It's nice what you're doing. It's something that really is refreshing to see. And it's also something I think people would really use. Yeah, there, there is definitely a chance for this to actually be useful for something. Maybe not yet, but. So how did you get started? Tell, tell us a story of where did you start from? What did you develop? Hmm. How, how did we get to where we are today? Yeah, the starting point was, um, almost two years ago at this point. Um, what we, and it was, um, let me, uh, it, it, it's, I started with, um, I started developing the whole thing uh, on a Linux VM. Uh, and um, I, I started by, uh, like, by, by just taking some programs I had on my system. Well, I started by compiling a Hello World program and uh, then wrote, it, wrote an executable loader for the, uh, executable file format 
then then I started working on the emulator uh, to emulate the instructions that the executable loader loaded into memory, and then um, a bit of system call translation to uh, get the hello world thing to actually appear on the screen. Um, and that that was that was the starting point. That was the point where I had something that could run uh, that could run an actual Linux program uh, and do it correctly. And then from that point, it was just adding support for whatever new for whatever, whatever new instruction or uh, or system call whatever that some program needed um, or fixing some bug. I, I don't I could I could go on for a while about some of the debugging um, that I had to do. <laughs> but yeah, it's I, I enjoy debugging. It's uh, it's fun to. Um, it's I, I would say I actually enjoy debugging somewhat more than writing the code in the first place um, because it's it's sort of like a mystery to solve you uh, you you run the program and it doesn't work um, you then have to you, have, you then have to dig into like all the all the different like all the different factors that are uh, influencing what the program is doing and like what how how this how, just how did the program get to this point where it's not doing where it's not working it's it's a fun it's a fun challenge do you have a day job not at the moment soon though <laughs> just seems like i would never have yeah time. i am i am 18 so oh wow yeah well, that's so i have a lot of spare time yeah that, I, well more than just spare time if you're able to do something <laughs> like this so, I have a couple of questions about the more of the emulation aspect. Uh, first, why did you choose iOS as the platform? If that was because, like a uh, because um, Android already has something that does this, so why bother? Uh, yeah, it, it was more interesting because <laughs> there was nothing. Uh, so, uh, and how does it actually work on iOS? Um, how did you structure the emulation on iOS? Yeah, the iOS sandbox um, doesn't allow like traditional um, binary translation emulators like QMU um, because because of the because for security reasons, which is annoying. Um, so yeah, it started with a simple emulator that would just go for each instruction, do the do the instruction, go to the next one, a giant switch case in a loop basically with. Um, hundreds of lines with, with a file that contained just nothing but hundreds of lines of macro definitions. Um, I really like macros. Uh, that, that was really, really slow. Um, That's a thing with emu emulator people, right? They love macros usually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Macros are just so cool. <laughs> My emulator is structured as a, as a switch case for each branch of the switch case is a macro. Um, and then there's one macro for each uh, x86 instruction that's defined to do whatever it needs to do. Um, so, yeah. So, so to speed it up, I did this thing where I wrote all the where I wrote uh, where I wrote uh, definitions for all the instructions in assembly language, um, so that at the end of each uh, instruct at the end of the code for each instruction, I could go and look up the code for the next instruction and just jump directly to it. Uh, without having to, like it, this, this is this, uh, this like really speeds up loops uh, where you'd have to 
reinterpret the code in the loop over and over again. Um, with with this with the way it's uh, it's um, dynamically uh, um, ge generating the generating these uh, function pointers, um, it can just uh, it can just go go through the loop, generate this array of function pointers, and go. They can just loop over and over again without needing to re-decode re it. That's fascinating. And uh, what what type of performance are you seeing? I mean, I've been running some basic stuff uh, on uh, Ish, and I haven't noticed like it being super slow. And uh, it's an interesting subject right now because there's there are all these rumors about Apple moving Macs to ARM processors, and then there's obviously the question of what's going to happen to all of the uh, Intel executables out there uh, when they eventually move to, to ARM. Uh, do, do you think that there's a possibility that super powerful uh, ARM chip could emulate um, apps even to they like did a, it. an acceptable degree? They did it really well with the transition from PowerPC to Intel with their Rosetta emulator, which was roughly the same design as QMU. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. My emulator is, um, if you measure it, somewhere between 20 and 50 times slower than just running the program on a real computer. Um, that's not really acceptable, um, especially for things like compiling C programs. Yeah, I mean, that's not great. It seems uh, it's great for what you've done. Yeah. I mean that in an insulting way, but compared to uh, the Rosetta translation that Apple used, I seem to recall numbers of something like 70%. Of course, that was a, that was partly because Intel processors were significantly faster, even right when they switched. But um, stuff, you know, the demo, Steve Jobs demoed using Photoshop, and that was actually quite feasible. Right, but we have to understand that when you're using Unix, you are not doing Photoshop. You are doing things that are essentially very, very tight little apps that were made to milk very low processor speed so you can be really effective in unix well sure but he was, was, a, yeah. Yeah, was, was asking in the context of arm max in the future yeah mm -hmm. yeah the i mean the the biggest the biggest reason that ish is as slow as it is is you can't uh you can't is uh an architecture like rosetta would never run in the ios sandbox at least not without that secret JIT entitlement that no one else, that no one beyond WebKit can have. And I don't think that Apple would architect it in that way. Uh, for for ARM, for uh, if they if they bother to write an emulator for um, for the ARM Max, I, I feel like they would probably do something very similar to Rosetta or QMU. Guy, if Apple went ARM Mac, what kind of chip? improvement would we have to be looking for compared to where we are now? I mean, there's, there's so much about the current ARM uh, chips we don't really uh, know, like in terms of how fast they can go because they are being installed in these very small devices with no active cooling and uh, powered by batteries. Um, so even like a cur current A12X chip from an iPad Pro, we don't know how fast it can actually run if it was put in like a, a big case that's always connected to, to power. Um, so uh, they can be very powerful. I mean, way faster than they are right now on an iPad, for instance, and 
they are pretty fast already. Other than things like marzipan, do we have an indication of the merging of visions is where Apple is going to be heading? We actually have a, a counter indication with the big no slide from uh, <laughs> last, last year's WWDC. But as we know, Apple, um, they've done this before where they say they're not going to do something and then they actually go and do it. So, um, you mean like we are you, never going to have a phone? <laughs> so, yeah, your guess is as good as mine, I guess. Uh, but I, I do believe that they, if we they move to... We will never have a tablet. <laughs> well, the stylus one is not fair because it was a different context. But uh, anyway, um, I, I think we will probably get universal apps in some sense uh, fairly soon, uh, I guess. But a complete merging of the platforms, I, I think that's still a little bit further ahead. But I don't think yeah, when you they are going to stick to the no. Universal. Are you talking about an ARM interior that runs with two different sets of frameworks? Or are you talking about an ARM and an Intel interior of the same wrapper of an app? I mean, you can have both. Um, they have the technology for app thinning to do th those things. Um, when, uh, of course, uh, every app would have to be compiled to support this, this new uh, merging but the, they have the technology already. It's just a matter of unifying the, the app store. I, I say just, it's not an easy thing, but they can definitely do it. Um, so you could have either, you could have like, like a, a Mac app that's compiled for the Intel chip and uh, it has like a fat binary with the ARM slice and the Intel slice and they just, the app store does all of the thinning for you. They're even doing it for assets this year, for uh, asset catalogs, which is interesting. What have they been doing with the assets? You can um, specify which device a certain asset is for. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the App Store ships the, the binary to the client, it's going to strip uh, the variants of the assets that are not required for that client. So if I, I have like a super old iPhone, it's not going to download the super high res. Uh, what was the question? I thought they've been doing that for several years now. Um, they weren't doing it for uh, asset catalogs specifically. And I think that the main difference is that they, they're even doing it now based on OS version. So yeah, for instance, on iOS 12, um, asset catalogs can, can all be compiled, uh, compressed using the new uh, HEAF format. And of course, that compression is not supported on older OSs, but if you ship your app and it uh, targets iOS 11 and up, it's going to slice the app, in the, the assets into like the version with compression, and they're going to ship that to iOS 12 devices, and the version without compression, they're going to ship that to iOS 11 devices, so the iOS 12 users are going to get the space savings from the compression. Right. So asset, they're, they're pretty asset, clever about that. Assets, the way you build asset catalogs today are just, it's, it's stupid how many copies and how many resolutions you have to use. And there's no concept right now of vectors. Yeah, the most you can do, well, there are two things you can do. You can either uh, 
add a PDF and um, set to preserve the, the vector data. Well, you um, can do that if you're going to use it just in the app. You can't use it for, for example, your launch screen or your... Um, yeah, that, that's true. The, the launch screen stuff on, on, on iOS, it needs to be worked on because it's very buggy. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, they, they need to, to improve that a lot. But, but uh, yeah, uh, I want to ask uh, about... I think that there may be some people uh, listening who are still uh, not really sure about what 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 would be the difference between ish and something like uh, prompt, which is another terminal app. I know the difference, but I know that some people who are listening may not. Yeah, the difference is uh, an app like prompt or blink, um, which is only an SSH client. It can just all it can do is uh, log into other machines and run commands on the other machines. Ish can run things locally. Um, so like, like so you could do so you could potentially do your do your actual work locally in, inside Ish. Yeah. So you're actually running Linux on your iOS device. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that it works with the, no internet, for example. Yeah. And you can use SSH if you want to. Yeah, it is uh, SSH does work. You can log into remote machines if you want. Nice. I think one thing that is probably kind of an elephant in the room is can you uh, put this app on the App Store? Mm, I have no idea how Apple would react to that. Um, they, they, the, the only thing that I've ever heard from them is, congratulations, your app has been approved for test flight. I don't know if this is the same review process as for the App Store or just or anything about it, but I mean... Um, I'm I'm kind of scared to try and submit it for App Store review because what if they reject it? Um, yeah, yeah. the The test flight review process is a little bit weird because um, uh, it, it's good that it allows something like uh, Ish, um, even though I, I'm honestly not sure if they would allow it through the the regular App Store review. Um, but the, there's a problem that test flights review should be a way for you to actually test if Apple would approve an app and be sure that if the app has been approved for test flight, there's a good chance that it's going to be approved for the App Store itself. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've heard many stories that that's not the case, that they are very... Um, they're more uh, liberal uh, in approving apps for test flight than they are for for the regular app store, and uh, I think they they th there needs to be a distinction, of course, because the app store does not allow uh, incomplete apps like that. There's some guideline for mm -hmm. that. You can't have like features that are unimplemented visible in the app, and of course for test flight that that's acceptable, uh, but yeah, that there should be a way for you to validate a, a business model or an app idea before going through the, the work if your end goal is to submit it to the App Store. Yeah, um, when, I, when I originally submitted it for test flight review, it was, um, it was a lot less capable than it is now. Like, um, basically all you could do was LS and CAT and... Um, basically, like if you 
it was not at all obvious that this is an app that can execute arbitrary code. Um, it might, at this point, I think it's really still not that obvious unless you know what you're doing in Unix and you know that you could go, that you could try and install GCC or something. Um, so that could be a factor that the reviewers are, um, that the reviewers are unlikely to, be, to know what they're doing on a Unix prompt. Yeah, they have um, an exception to the rule for developer tools, but I think it, it specifies that the uh, code that's downloaded needs to be visible and editable by the user. Yes, so I yes. Think, yeah, APK um, wouldn't be yeah. If you're downloading, limit. you're downloading binaries. Um, that's a little sketchy. This has been dis this has been discussed many times on the Ish Discord server, and the conclusion, as far as I can tell, is who knows. You know, technically, Zork is an interpreted system. Ooh. <laughs> and so it's an interpreted system with source that you cannot read because it comes in a compiled form and cannot edit. So the is there a is there a uh, Z machine interpreter on the App Store? I believe so. And I, there's been one since like day one. It's one of those things that a lot of developers point to and kind of huh. try not yeah. to point out too loudly to Apple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could, you could argue that there's no difference between interpreting Z machine code and interpreting x86 code. I don't know how well that would work. Try, yeah. Trying to, try, trying to go to battle with Apple over those kind yeah, of. Yeah. You, Apple doesn't, code. Apple doesn't really want to argue, <laughs> is what I, is the sense I get. So what are your top priorities for Ish at this point? Are you going to keep developing it, or is it going to be something you'll use as a portfolio for your next step? And what are your next steps? Um, I'm really working on it uh, for, the, for the fun of the, for the, um, the, for me, the journey is the reward, um, the fun of getting um, whatever new feature to be working. Um, I'm, I'm planning to keep developing it, like adding support for new programs um, that didn't work before. Uh, even as I uh, even as I start working in an actual job, um, I hope to be able to spend my spare time working on it. So, are you looking for an actual job at this point? I uh, I uh, will soon be in an actual job. Fantastic! Um, <laughs> Tell us about it if you can. Sure, it's uh, I'll, I'll be working uh, for Google, um, porting Android to Fuchsia. Wow, that's quite the job to <laughs> land at eighteen. Yeah, that's really nice. Congratulations! Yeah, congratulations. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Are you so we we kind of just went through the whole App Store discussion. How is if somebody you know wants to try Ish, how do they get it? Um, easiest way is to go to the website ish.app where there's a link to uh, the test flight beta because Apple recently announced you can now have public links to a test flight beta. Um, so I did that and now up to 10,000 people at a time can have ish in their test flight app. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, when sometimes it's happened that let more than 10,000 people try to join the test flight at which point I sadly have to remove people. Um, but you know, what I try to do with that is um, only remove people who have not updated the app in months. 
So if if you're if you're using the app, you're probably keeping it up to date. So I won't remove you. And I guess it's open source, right? So can people? It is open source, so anyone can go and download the code and run it themselves uh, for seven days, because uh, because of because of the way the iOS app signing works. Um, if you you could if you build it and install it with say City Impactor, it's going to stop working after a week because they don't like side loading. Um, it's kind of sad, but I can't remember. Is that the limit on uh, on paid developer accounts, or is that that is the limit account? on free accounts? Yeah, okay. If you have a paid account, it'll work for I think a year. Yeah, I knew it was longer because test flight builds for paid accounts are ninety days. Yeah, you know that I have to keep rebuilding every year the stuff that I do for my kids, so I have to uh -huh. it and reinstall it so they bring me their devices. <laughs> Yeah, um, if it's if it's not if if it's not in the app store, it will eventually stop working. Is the base is and the if rule it on is signing. in the app store, it will eventually stop working. Oh, will it? How long does that take? Well, it depends how many versions of iOS go by, and then you know hmm. Apple gets cranky about supporting old stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, what Eric is talking about is not code signing stops uh, kills it. It's that it stops working on the latest version of iOS. And eventually, Apple will purge it from the store, although I think they've really only done that once. Um, Purging apps that aren't compatible with new versions of iOS? Right, so like we, they stopped uh, supporting 32-bit apps altogether. They just won't uh, launch yeah. anymore. So they're purging any apps and that were never updated. to. I have an iPad running iOS 4.3, and I have a feeling there aren't going to be any apps in the App Store that will run on that. <laughs> they, they, they do them in batches, so even if your apps are from the same era of distribution, they may or may not get caught up in each sweep. You know, a certain number, and then they'll start sending out the information of, you know, your app no longer meets App Store minimum guidelines. You may update it by a certain day or will, you know, get pulled from the store. And then in your update, um, I assume, then you can't include support for extremely ancient versions? No, you really can't. Uh, but the thing is that the people with really ancient devices can't purchase your stuff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it will keep working for them. You just can't really push. Yeah. Once I mean, they, I, well, I guess once they have the app, it's going to work, but then they can't ever get anything new. Yeah, I've got an iPhone. Th I've got an original iPhone um, with apps on it, and they work, but they're yeah. just ones that have been on it since it was still supported yeah and i have a lot of crap on the app store that i write for friends you know it's honestly it's so much easier just to put it on the app store yeah go through test flight and all that yeah and over time those age out and so i regularly get things from new message from app review you know, <laughs> or you know this app or that app or whatever app so when I have time, I'll update stuff. If I don't have time, I just let it sit. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about Ish that you think we should cover that we haven't gotten to? Um, hmm. Not that I can think of. Um, well, right, right now, uh, pseudo terminals aren't working. So um, you could... Um, actually, one big gap is, um, uh, be, is like being able to run like servers in the background. You can run... Uh, you can run servers, uh, but then you have to like 
type the name of the server command into the prompts, then you have to be careful not to switch to other apps uh, or the app will get suspended thanks to iOS being annoying about backgrounding. Um, um, the solution to this would be a two-part thing. First, like get like the init system working so you can set up things as daemons and then they will just automatically run. The second thing is um, to get the app to keep running in the background um, uh, is a mixtape player, of course. Um, so you can have the background audio entitlement. Yeah, that seems like a that seems like a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. I mean the audio thing works, but it's uh that that will that will cause Apple to complain. Yeah. But what if it's but what if it's really good music? Well, so if you actually make a mixtape player, I guess you can do yeah. that, right? I'm gonna I'm going to uh I will I will be putting if I do this, I will be putting actual music in that you can listen to while you work uh in your emulated Linux environment. All right. Well, great. If there's nothing else, I think we'll get to picks. Um, Guy, do you have, sure. oh yeah. Guy, do you have any picks for us? Yeah, as I do, I have a bit of a different uh, app I want to pick. It's an app called Unshaky. And it's an app that uh, supposedly fixes issues with uh, keys repeating on uh, new MacBook Pro keyboards because yes, that's still an issue with MacBook Pro keyboards. And, um, uh, my keyboards when oh boy yeah when i haven't cleaned it <laughs> this for a is, while this is a global happens. keyboard hook that debounces <laughs> oh god wow. yeah so this is a little mac app that keeps uh, running and you can configure which keys you're having trouble with and it's going to prevent uh, them from uh, repeating because basically when the, the they are repeating for issues with the keyboard it's so fast that it's not like at human speed. So it, it won't prevent you from typing really quickly, like uh, pressing two keys, uh, the same key twice really quickly. Uh, but it will prevent the, the issue from happening. And it's been working very well for me. So I definitely recommend it. And shaky. Great. Erica, do you have any picks for us? My pick for this week is the Tech Keys version of one keyboard. This is a $35 product that has a single key. And what it does, <laughs> what? lets you have an external mechanical keyboard with a single key that you can create an escape key for your Mac. <laughs> oh God. You this reminds me of, of that old joke that was a keyboard uh, designed for Windows, which only had a uh, control alt delete. <laughs> <laughs> Real thing, um, you have to bring your own uh, cable and your own keycap, but you, you're going to want to buy a keycap that, you know, mm -hmm. says ESC or something like that on it. Yeah. Um, it's it's it is, simple. It is, I think, a brown, it may be a blue um, mechanical keyboard switch. So it's nice and clicky for anybody who wants that click. And... <laughs> Basically, um, you program it by connecting it through USB and then set it up through any text editor. There, you know, there's like a magic sequence you know, that it recognizes over USB, so you can program it. So you don't just have to have it for escape. You can use it for anything where you just really need an extra key available. Um, and 
<laughs> Everyone who just does not want that escape on the touch bar, they want a real escape key. The one keyboard, $35 plus shipping, is available from TechKeys. I suppose you could also use it for print screen. Yeah, but you wouldn't want to use it for print screen. You would want to use, what is it? Command Shift 5 is the new. For the touch bar screenshot? You know, no, in Mojave, Command Shift 5 is the new screenshot UI. Oh, it's glorious. I thought, I thought that was just if you, Command Shift 4 would do the, just any attempt. Oh, no, no. I, I'm, by the way, I, I'm totally writing up Command Shift 5 as soon as I get some time. I just haven't had it. <laughs> but if you haven't tried Command Shift 5, that's my second pick. I do not have Mojave um, because I'm scared that my... Uh, that the text in my terminal will get will suddenly get too thin when I upgrade. Just change the the font. But this I like this font. There are lots of great fonts, and you can always revert to. But I like this font. Seriously, you can bring the font with you. I promise. But but It'll they okay. but they got rid of uh, uh, subpixel anti-aliasing, so now everything looks a little bit thinner. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a default uh, command to turn it back on, though. I have no idea if that works, and I don't want to risk it. <laughs> I should try it. That I mean, would I'm on take... a Retina Mac now, but... Because, I don't know, it would take a while to revert. As someone who spent weeks picking her terminal fonts, <laughs> I totally get it. And I respect your decision, but I suspect if you did a little bit of Google Foo, considering where you're heading anyway, <laughs> you will find a font solution, whether through defaults or through a third well, font. Well, I did, I did spend a while looking into how can I fix this. I tried things out in a, in a, uh, in a VM, and uh, it was too thin, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Even that like defaults command didn't like do anything to make the to make any, anything thicker. I don't know. That's disappointing. I'm fine with my Sierra. <laughs> there is, um, what do you call it? A pub, I guess it's not public domain, it's probably Apache or something. There's an Ubuntu font, which is really good. Uh, what font is it? It's called Ubuntu. <laughs> Just called Ubuntu, like Ubuntu Mono, that whole series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But fear of code. Fira code is wonderful in Xcode, but not so great at the terminal. The whole point of having Fira is it lets you uh, take things like uh, dash and the greater than sign and turn it into a single glyph. But I have that on my terminal now, and it's uh, so great. Then, then be happy with that under Mojave. It's just the subpixel anti-aliasing that he doesn't but want I have, But I have 10-point font, and I can't read it with it's too thin. Oh, my God. You're so young. You can see things in 10 points. <laughs> oh, I, I, I own clothing older than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to try to see about anti-aliasing. I'm, I'm just going to mute myself. You're going to pick something. Okay. Pick something lovely, and I'm going to go try to find you a solution. Okay. All right. So with that, Theodore, what, what picks do you have for us? Let's see. Um, I'm going to pick Ed, um, the world's greatest text editor. Um, if you haven't ever tried this, you should try it sometime. You open up a terminal, type Ed, and uh, nothing should happen. If you get nothing out, that's great. You successfully started Ed. 
um, you can now type ed commands um, like help, um, which outputs a question mark and nothing else um, because you don't know how to use ed. The real way you get help is with just a capital H and nothing after it. Um, and uh, once, once, you, once you've gotten over the learning curve, it's a decent editor. Also, once you've gotten over the fact that it really does not like to ever output anything beyond like a question mark, um, uh, you can. This this editor was designed for um, the for the um, for way back when you had um, actual teletypewriters that would type onto pieces of paper, and then you would type commands in on, again on pieces of paper, and uh, that is how you would interact with your computer. You, you, you can't really use a typewriter to make a full screen editor like Vim work. Um, so yeah, Ed, it's a beautiful editor. And of course it works on Ish. I even tried launching it on Ish just for fun. Mm -hmm. If you, uh, quick warning, if you just type Ed into Ish, you'll get, um, you'll get BusyBox Ed, which is not the true version of Ed. It outputs something when you start it, it outputs a colon. That's not how Ed is supposed to work. You need to go ABK install Ed and then you can get the real, the true ed. And oh, for anybody who uses VI, you should know that VI is built over a lot of what ed is. So when you do the colon in VI, it really just takes you basically to ed commands. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, because, yeah, when you, because like the, um, the, the, like the original, actually you can try this sometime. If you're in Vim, press uh, capital Q, and, you, and I'll be like, entering X mode. X is um, just an upgrade over, is just a slight upgrade over Ed. Um, and and X, it's, by the way, is EX. Yeah, not EX. Letter. Not the X11 thing, but EX, the editor, which is, um, which is the foundation for, for VI. I think Ed is a magnificent choice. I so appreciate <laughs> you picking that. Yeah. All right, well, I'm gonna pick Visual Studio Code. Uh, I'm, I'm half teasing after the ed pick, but, um, I've, I've actually been learning closure the last little while. Well, relearning it. Cause I, I played around with it five years ago or something. Um, and, uh, visual studio code actually works pretty well as a closure editor. So it's, it, it's not Emacs, which is, you know, everybody's favorite Lisp text editor, but I don't really want to use Emacs on the Mac. So I'm using visual studio code and there are good extensions for it for closure. And, uh, yeah, it's been pretty great so far. So. It's a Microsoft product that doesn't suck. At last. And, and it's, it's also an Electron WSL. app. Oh, we always Electron app on, on Microsoft, but Microsoft does some really good things. It's just there is There is one other Microsoft product that doesn't suck, and it's WSL. Yeah, uh, Microsoft is a good friend of the iFreaks podcast. Um, we actually like them a lot. We like them as much as a bunch of Apple fans can. All right, well, I think uh, I think that's it for this show. I'm really happy you came on, Theodore. We were all very excited when we heard that you were going to be on the show to talk about Ish. And so it was great to have you, and um, we will see everyone next week. Yeah, thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.